Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to the local news in social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And this week, my guest is George Lauer, spelled L-A-U-R. And I met uh, George at a Citizens Climate uh, something or other. He'll tell us about that in just a second. Hi, George. How's it going? Hi, Dick. I'm doing good. Thank <laughs> what, you. What was that meeting? Uh, Citizens Climate... Uh... Citizens Climate Lobby. Lobby. Okay. So uh, this was at, the, I think, the library maybe down here in Jeff City. And... Uh, that was well over a year ago, probably two, maybe three years ago. Uh, and you've been busy working on this issue of uh, climate for quite a long time. Uh, didn't you say uh, that maybe 10 years this has been a priority for you? I'm, I'm approaching 10 years. I started in 2013. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I was interested in it before that, but that's kind of when I really got active. Yeah. Well, maybe we could start with telling the listeners what this uh, Citizens Climate Lobby is. Uh, take as much time to, to give us some detail and, and what you do, and, and uh, I'll pop in if I, if I have some questions about it. Okay. Well, I, I thought I might just say a little bit about my road uh, to get into Citizens Climate Lobby. Sure. Uh, I, 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 I started uh, my life as a farm boy up in northwest Missouri. Uh, that would be in the 60s. Uh, working off farm, uh, I really gained a lot of appreciation for the productivity of the land. Uh, we worried about extreme weather back then too. We'd have gully washers before the crops protected the soil. Uh, then later in the summer, we'd have uh, to worry about uh, drought setting in. And you'd, you'd do all that work planting the crops and then some years watch them dry up. Uh, so, so that agriculture foundation is really kind of what uh, drew me to climate change. Uh, advocacy. Uh, I also uh, love science, um, you know, in junior high and high school. Uh, and I, I was especially uh, intrigued by uh, the theory of a moving mass storing energy. Uh, it's, that's probably what led me to buying a Prius uh, nearly four decades uh, later. Uh, <laughs> I, I, went, I, went, I went to college and uh, majored in journalism. Uh, I got a job with um, the Rural Electric Cooperatives as one of the editors of their magazine, uh, Rural Missouri. Uh, which I did for about seven years, I think it was. Um, I primarily wrote feature stories about cooperative members, uh, but there I also learned a lot about uh, the energy industry um, and pollution. Um, at that time, that would have been in the late 70s. Uh, there was the big debate about you know coal or nuclear power, you know which which would be better for the environment. Uh, cooperatives uh, nationwide mostly went uh, the coal route. They did a lot of feature stories on, on co-op members, mm -hmm. uh, but I also had a real opportunity to sit and look at a lot of the research that was coming in because we were talking about making these decisions between coal and nuclear. And uh, at that time, nearly all my friends, especially my environmentally concerned friends, uh, were fighting the nuclear power plants. But I was looking at all these statistics on coal and, and what goes into the air when we burn coal. 
And uh, I found that to be a pretty terrifying uh, source of energy at that time ah. uh, because I, I, I was just thinking what that would do to our health. And we weren't thinking about climate change back then. Right. But um, but we went we went the, the coal route and uh, the co-ops especially uh, spent the next few decades building uh, coal plants. Hmm. Um, so I, I, I was I was really interested in the industry. I followed it closely for the rest of my career. Um, kind of the capstone of my career uh, was directing publishing for MU Extension and the College of Agriculture and Food and Natural Resources at MU. Hmm. And uh, the, um, that really gave me an opportunity to be around scientists. And uh, I, I was interested in science already, and, uh, but I really just grew an appreciation for the scientific process and, uh, and, and value of bringing scientific discovery to citizens in order to better their lives. Uh, mm -hmm. So I... Uh, so that was those were kind of the main you know agriculture energy science communications uh at the end of my career in 2013 when i wanted to retire uh climate change had become a, a, a much bigger issue mm -hmm. and uh, and i just had those skills in those areas pretty well related to what was needed uh, to work on climate change mm -hmm. so that, that's what that's what drew me to citizens climate lobby i um the, the, the executive director i heard him on a oh it was some kind of a uh, webinar or something mm -hmm. and uh, he, ta he talked about how, how they were going to put a price on carbon uh, and give a rebate back to citizens uh, hmm. uh, as a dividend and uh, how that would work um, economically and I, I worked with economists too you know my work and uh, it was just a solution uh, that I really liked uh, that they were talking about and one of, you know some of their strategies that they, they Citizen Climate Lobby uses three what they call levers of political will. Uh, the first one is obvious as part of our name, and that's the Lobby Congress. Uh, the, the next one is media relations, which, of course, I had a lot of experience with, with a journalism degree, and I work in rural Missouri and actually mm -hmm. university as well, mm -hmm. and, uh, and grassroots outreach. And then grass tops engagement. That's where, you, that's where we go out to the community leaders, uh, you know, the trusted voices in the community. Uh, to see if we can find people that will speak up for uh, the, our cause and policies that we're recommending. And uh, and then the last one was uh, group development and organizing. And uh, that was probably the thing I'm least interested in. But when I contacted uh, our executive director, Mark Reynolds, in 2013, at that time, I think Citizens Climate Lobby had, had just a few thousand members. I talked to Mark directly. And, um, you know, I was, I was wanting to join a chapter and mm -hmm. it, there, was, there was no local chapter. So, oh. so the first thing I did is after joining Citizens Climate Lobby. I contacted them. I think it was in April. And uh, in June, I was out in D.C. walking the halls of Congress with a bunch of people, not oh. really knowing what I was doing. Hmm. And uh, then uh, I followed through and I helped uh, launch the chapter. It was at Columbia Jefferson City Chapter of Citizens Climate Lobby initially. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and since then, uh, Jeff Holsom down in Jefferson City has taken over leadership of the Jefferson City chapter, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm still leading the Columbia chapter and uh, also serve as a state coordinator uh, for the state of Missouri. That so, must have been quite an education for you to go to Congress. You no, know, yeah, it it was. Yeah, you know, you you hear about people going, you know, four years of college or longer, and then they get their first job and they learn more than in the first few months and they did you know in 
four years of college, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in retirement, uh, I, you know, I feel like I've learned more about uh, communications than I did uh, with a journalism <laughs> degree and, and a whole career in it uh, here yeah. in the last 10 years. It's, always, uh, it's been a real opportunity to learn things and, uh, and really uh, get engaged with uh, just wonderful people, uh, mm -hmm. you know, back here in the community and uh and you know some of the people i've had the opportunity to meet nationally just some of the national leaders within the organization but also uh uh people like uh, james hansen and um catherine hayhoe uh you know just uh, some of the big names in, in uh, climate change uh, research uh and policy i've gotten to know so, I've, I've, so I've, is, I've, uh, I've enjoyed that is catherine hayhoe the one that is sort of uh bridging the uh religious approach with science uh if i'm yeah, she 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 is she's an evangelical yes and, i uh, i think i heard her speak and it was very very uh well very inspiring to hear that perspective so well uh <laughs> blended with the, with the climate issue and uh yeah i really appreciated her yeah. yeah, if you if you're interested in saying more of her, you just go to YouTube and type in Catherine Hayhoe and mm -hmm. uh, climate, and uh, she, she's she's done a lot of good work. Um, we, uh, our group, she needed some funds to, to do a, a series of um, programs, and uh, you know our executive director did a campaign to earn, earn, make some money for her to get started. We played a big role in, in getting uh, her program started. Oh, good, good. Yeah, and James Hansen is he the fellow with that was with NASA? Yeah, James Hansen was with the Goddard Goddard Center at NASA, uh -huh. uh, which is a the area that studied climate change. Uh, he's uh, really famous uh, for being the first person to inform um, Congress that humans were causing global warming. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know what year that might have been? Way back, I bet. <laughs> Nin, nin, yeah, nineteen eighty-eight is when he when he uh, informed Congress, and, uh -huh. uh, and of course he wasn't the first uh, scientist by any means saying that climate change is going to be a problem. It, mm -hmm. it, that discussion started long before nineteen eighty-eight, but uh, but certainly when I was working for the Royal Electric Co-ops in the in the late seventies, um, I, I wasn't aware of climate change being the problem that mm -hmm. became uh, since then. Yeah, so in the eighties. It seems like uh, Al Gore might have been in Congress somewhere and was beginning to uh, talk about the issue. Of course, we did. What did we call it back then? It wasn't climate change. It was uh, global warming. Wasn't that the phrase? Yeah, a lot, a lot of debates about what to call it, and um, and certainly, uh, you know, actually early, I believe James Hansen uh, talked about both climate change and global warming. Mm -hmm. uh, those terms are somewhat interchangeable. The uh, change from um, global warming to climate change was kind of a Republican thing, where they, they felt like that's what I thought. Change mm -hmm. was, yeah, climate change was too threatening, mm -hmm. and uh, so I mean, I mean, global warming, global warming, too threatening. Mm -hmm. right? And and so by talking about it in terms of climate change, it sounded less threatening. It was, it was a better talking point. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a there's a Republican pollster, can't think of his name off the top of my head, mm -hmm. that. Um, they did, they did a lot of work on that messaging. It's going to come to me as soon as we get done here. Yeah, but, sure. Um, he, but, but he, you know, he he did a lot of the training uh, to you know how, how to kind of avoid climate policy early. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's from Paradise, California, and mm -hmm. uh, he uh, got caught in the fire out there and has turned mm -hmm. into a, a, a really supporter of climate policy. 
Oh, wow. And I wish mm -hmm. I could think of his name right now. So. And now we're talking about climate crisis because it's uh, uh, everything changes. Uh, that's almost a, a mundane mm -hmm. word. <laughs> climate <Well>. change. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, James, James Hansen, when he testified in 1988, uh, he wasn't an activist. He was just a scientist. He's kind of awkward. You can still find his presentation on the web by going and looking for it. Hmm. And um, you can find his article that ran the next day in the New York Times by with a search on the web. Uh, but he just kind of an awkward scientist in front of the mic when talking to the Congress and stuff. And probably never had any idea that he would end his career as a as a environmental activist, you know. Hmm. But um, he uh, but he he wrote a book. Uh, called Storms of My Grandchildren. Hmm. And uh, I, I would say when you go to a meeting with Citizens Climate Lobby, we, what happens is we, we go to Lobby Congress pre-COVID uh, in June and then again in November. And uh, the June meeting would always have a, at a conference before the, the lobby days and uh, saw James Hansen uh, there. His book was uh, Storms of My oh, Grandchildren. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. In Storms of My Grandchildren, uh, he, he just, you know, just a grandpa, you know, looking at what's going to happen in the future if we don't do something. Mm -hmm. But he didn't have any doubt in his mind that you know, once he told Congress that it was happening and we needed to do something about it, that we would. And we mm -hmm. had plenty of time to do it if we would got started in 1990, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, you know, each year's delay makes it, you know, more of a crisis that uh, we, we need to act rapidly. So mm -hmm. uh, so we, we, we need we need big, bold uh, policies. So what um, the Citizens Climate Lobby has been um, advocating for uh, since I joined him in 2013 is to put a price on carbon uh, as it comes out of the ground, you know, like that would be like the mine, uh, hmm. the well, uh, the refinery uh, when it comes across the border, uh, just wherever it enters the economy. And, uh, and then return that um, all that revenue back to households equally uh, wow. as a carbon dividend. Hmm. And um, what 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 this does, and and virtually any economist you talk to, they'll say putting a price on carbon is the you know the most efficient and um, effective way to reduce you know carbon emissions mm -hmm. um, by making something more expensive with a carbon fee. Uh, people will use less of it. It's like if you don't believe that principle, you're really not an economist. So uh, so so virtually all economists agree that putting a price on it would be uh, good. And there's a lot of debate about what would be the best thing to do with that revenue generated. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in absolutely term, absolute terms on economic impact, you know, you might argue that maybe re, um, reducing other types of taxes would be good. Uh, but um, returning it to citizens is uh, makes it durable. You know, once you put the fee on the carbon and people start getting their dividend checks, uh, that's going to be a popular program. You're not going to have people wanting to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, um, it's, and it's and it. We've done a lot of research on this, and uh, it's good for the economy. Uh, you know, it, it moves people to clean energy uh, quickly. It's it's it's, it's good, good for people. You know, it's good for their health because it reduces emissions. Let me ask but, about that. Uh, so if you add a fee for carbon coming out of the ground or coming across the border mm -hmm. then the companies are going to raise their prices Correct. which will be called inflation and then anybody that uses their stuff then you know the truckers and so on they'll have to pass those prices along to da -da 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 -da. so is this a how inflationary does this become? 
Well, it will raise prices on on energy specifically, but also on everything you buy, all your consumption. Right. Because because uh, it will, um, you know, if it, uh, but but what it does, it make it it helps us make good decisions. You know, right now when we decide to burn coal in a coal mine, I mean in a power plant. Um, we know how much the coal costs to dig it up, but we know how much it costs to transport it and prepare it and burn it. Um, but what we don't know is how much does it cost us in terms of our health? Uh, you know, how much does it cost us in future cl- climate damage? Mm-hmm. You know, those, those things aren't, aren't being priced in to the cost mm-hmm. of burning coal. You know? right. so, so, so what this does is it actually, it, 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 it corrects a failure in the market where that, you know, those, those harms that fossil burning fossil fuels are doing are um, externalized to other parts of the economy. So, um, so, 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 so we've got those costs that we're paying already in health and uh, in climate disruption. Uh, so inflationary uh, somewhat on prices, but, uh, but ex- enormous cost savings down the road in terms to uh, climate change and, and a lot of cost savings immediately in terms of health effects. So, um, so it's, it's really a, a pretty inexpensive way to um, uh, reduce carbon emissions. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, we're going to say to our listeners, uh, thank you for being here on KOPN today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and my guest today is George Lauer, uh, who has been very active with the Citizens Climate Lobby for close to 10 years, uh, working on uh, developing bills, I guess, in Congress. Uh, is that what you do, George, to try to get uh, Congress to come together and uh, set some kind of fees for uh, getting coal out of the ground and oil out of the wherever they get it and so on? Sure. When we, when we started getting the bills, we felt, that's when we felt like we are making progress. We spent a number of years just talking about a concept of uh, a carbon fee and dividend. We had our first bill introduced in the 115th Congress, uh, kind of in the lame duck session, which would have been two Congresses before the one we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, um, the specific bill that meets all our criteria is uh, referred to as the Ener- Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act, uh, and that's H.R. 2307 uh, in the current Congress. Uh, that was introduced by uh, Ted Deutsch of uh, Florida. And um, it's 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 the uh, there's about three other carbon pricing bills uh, in Congress right now. Uh, th- that bill is the one with uh, the most co-sponsors at this time. Uh, I, I believe it's at 80 right now. Hmm. And uh, it, it's it's uh, it's it's the ideal bill for us. It pr- price puts a fee on carbon-based fuels at the mark as they enter the market mm-hmm. and returns all revenue collected back to households as a dividend. What we find is, um, you know, think about that inflationary factor. Mm-hmm. Um, most low, we have kind of two red lines at Citizens Climate Lobby before we'll support a bill. Uh, the first is it has to have uh, significant uh, reductions in emissions. It needs to accomplish, uh, you know, that goal. And mm-hmm. uh, the other thing is it needs to protect uh, the lower income households. And um, a lot of our carbon footprint is, you know, we, th- we think in terms of our cars that we drive and how efficient they are and how far we have to drive them and uh, our homes and how efficient they are. Uh, but a, a, as people's income goes up, a much larger portion of their carbon footprint is their consumption. So when you get people in the upper middle class and above, 
they start having quite large carbon footprints. So if we, we put a fee on carbon as it comes out of the ground, return all that back to households equally as a dividend so that you and me and, and our neighbors and the Koch brothers all get the same size check. It's a kind of a meaningless check <laughs> to the rich, uh, but their carbon footprints are huge. And so, um, so that generates a lot of the revenue. Then the, uh, the lower income households, uh, all our research shows that a, a, a vast majority of them uh, actually come out ahead with this policy. They've got more money in their pocket at the end of the month than they would without the policy. So um, it turns out being a, a check that really benefits them to have that dividend every month. Hmm. Well, this will be interesting to see it come to fruition and, uh, and actually uh, see some of that money coming into the households. Of course, they're going to turn around and spend that, and they're going to spend it on more consumption. And uh, consumption seems to be uh, kind of a big bugaboo here in our world. We uh, keep consuming more than the planet can endure, it seems. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, sure. I guess... I guess somebody else is going to have to work on the consumption <laughs> well, problem. Well, uh, you know, the thing that happens is it changes consumption. So, you know, the things that have that large carbon footprint that are causing the, the problem uh, will get more expensive and people will use less of those products. So uh, you collect the revenue when it comes out of the ground, uh, you put it back in their pockets, put the money back in people's pockets, and then they go out and spend that in the economy. It's been readjusted for how much of a carbon footprint carbon footprint there is and all the different kinds of ways you spend your money. Hmm. So, um, so it, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a research thing. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we talk to scientists, you know, do the research or we do our studies, uh, it's, it shows uh, really dramatic reductions in emissions, a, a big chunk of our way. I think it's 40% reduce emissions in the first, um, I think by 2030, uh, just with this policy alone. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, that's, that, you know, that's the research and says that's, that's what it would do. And, uh, you know, we've got, we've got to keep on top of it. it I, I tell people uh, that uh, I don't think there's any way to solve climate change, you know, re, you know meet our emissions targets uh, without a carbon fee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to take more than a carbon fee uh, to do it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we have to have, have ongoing science and ongoing discovery to, uh, you know, to solve this problem. But, uh, but, I, but I believe with, with the market readjusted, uh, you know, that, that's going to really put pressure on the car companies to build more efficient cars, you know, more electric cars. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, the, in the utility business, you know, right now, when a utility is making the decision about what kind of a power plant to build, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right, right now it makes, it would make sense to use uh, a gas plant. You know, your coal plants are pretty much on their way out. With, with that carbon price figured into it, it changes their decision making. So, mm-hmm. you know, how much will, you, will your utility bill go up in that situation? Well, it, that, you know, the, the part of the, your utility bill that comes from coal or gas will go up dramatically. But what you need to realize is that the, the you know, the utility companies are going to go to the cheapest sources of energy, and this this will quickly make wind and, and solar uh, less expensive compared to coal, and so so that'll move move them that direction. So a lot of your 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 utility bill will no longer be uh, based on carbon-based fuel, so it won't go up at the rates that it would if we, if, if they continued with uh, coal burning. You mentioned gas. Uh, you're not talking gasoline. You're talking natural gas, right? Right, natural uh-huh. gas. Natural gas has about half half the carbon footprint of coal. What what are the primary sources of natural gas? 
a lot of our gas supply that we have to you know offset the coal is because of fracking frack gas is, is, a, is a large portion of it and that, that in itself causes environmental problems yeah that's kind of what i was thinking was that gas and fracking seem to go together and right fracking has huge uh, environmental <laughs> footprints it of its own nature <laughs> right. rather than carbon and, yeah and- yeah, well, but that is carbon, and you know they're, they 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 will get a carbon feed just like the coal companies will. So, um, uh, it, the, the carbon feed is based on how much carbon goes into the atmosphere when they burn. Uh-huh. So when you when you when you burn a ton of coal, it combines with you know carbon combines with two parts oxygen. So you know one one ton of coal makes three tons of uh, carbon dioxide when it goes up into the air. Hmm. So uh, uh, natural gas for generating the same amount of energy is about half of what coal would be. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand that uh, you have gone back to your home area uh, over the years, and uh, that old farmland has had some changes to it. Uh, yeah, several. It, it was, it was, we had shady lanes and fences and cows and pigs and chickens uh, when I was back on the farm. Uh, farmland up there uh, in northwest Missouri now is primarily row crops. Uh, the most offenses, a lot of them that I helped build, are gone. And uh, and you see cattle in the area, but uh, but not not a lot. So and, it's been uh, the, industrialized, uh, would you say? It's, uh, it has been. A, a, a big farmer in the in the uh, '60s was thousand acres. Yeah, uh, now you know I say most farms are over 3,000. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really, really have that number, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, five or 6,000 acre farms, not uncommon. And, uh, the, I mean, there's, it's a huge wind farm area up there now, uh, from mm-hmm. our farmhouse, our farmhouse is well over a hundred years old. My, my, my dad is still living in the farmhouse that I grew up oh, in. He's wow. going to be, he's going he's to be a hundred this fall. Mm. So, uh, so we've got a century, century family farm with a century family farmer living <laughs> farm right now. Wow. When he started farming, uh, you know, as a boy, uh, they were using horses, and uh, he he came back from uh, college and started. I can't remember exactly when it was, high school or college, and started uh, using one of the first tractors. And his dad came out and said he could do more than you know three three guys with horses could do, you know, at the same time. Sure. And uh, now, but you know, that's where that's where he started. Uh, you know, as a farmer, and uh, since that time, uh, they've got tractors up there that uh, don't really hardly need a driver. They, I think they always have a driver in them, an operator. Uh, but those tractors are guided across the fields by GPS units. Mm-hmm. Uh, when 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 they're spraying chemicals and they come to the end of the rows, it, uh, it shuts the chemicals off just as it starts overlapping the uh, pass they made. Wow! And uh, the, you know, but when I when I would work on the farm I, i'd get lost out there trying to figure out where i was supposed to be you know and they mm-hmm. don't worry about that anymore yeah. so uh, what's way up in the air those... <laughs> way up in the air when you when your dad looks oh, up what does he see well i think you talk about the wind farms yeah so, yeah you can, from our porch you can uh, look around and uh you know first we had three over in rockport missouri which is real close to us then Rockport, Missouri is one of the first uh, towns, was the first town in the United States that was um, fully powered by solar or by wind power. And uh, 
shortly after that, a couple more wind farms went up and it wasn't long before we had about a hundred wind farms to the west of our farm. Mm. And uh, those, those wind turbines, I believe were about 1.5 megawatts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and now we have wind turbines all the way around, you know, east, south, east, north, and west. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the new ones going up there now have uh, 4.5 megawatts of wind power. So they, you know, just in, in since they begin wind energy in Northwest Missouri, they've already made a big transition to newer technologies and bigger wind turbines that produce more energy at a, at a lower cost. So they keep uh, learning. I'm optimistic. You know, I, I, I think about my dad starting farming with those horses and he's a hundred years old and all the changes mm-hmm. have happened. And, you know, so far we, we need to get to zero emissions by the end of the century, you know, say 80 years. And mm. uh, change is happening now faster than um, it was uh, before. I'm convinced that we can reduce our emissions to net zero by the end of the century and, and get, you know, halfway there mid-century. But we have to make a decision to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it can't be done with, you know, individuals deciding that, you know, eat less red meat you know it, it, need, it needs to be policies that encourage everyone to um, change their behaviors uh, in a way that's uh, meaningful and even with me uh you know I, I i may be go out and buying things and i'm like i don't know if the carbon footprint would be less with a prius or an electric car versus a gas car because you know gas cars operate i mean the electric cars operate off the grid so uh, when, when you got the carbon price in at the source, uh, that kind of sorts that all out for you, you know? So you don't, you don't have to be an expert in energy or uh, climate change or anything. You just look at what things are costing and choose the less expensive thing that is gonna be the things with lower carbon footprints because it's been priced into all the products and, and services that we use. Once we have the fees, you're saying? Right. Because now we're not sure if the, uh hybrid Prius is, you know, they cost uh, what, $35,000. So uh, what's in that? What- oh, we don't. Yeah. Of course, of course, a Prius is, uh, you know, the original Prius, I had one, uh, didn't use any electricity. It just used the battery and charging to make the car more efficient uh, by catching that moving mass going down a hill mm-hmm. and coming up to a stop. Uh, but an electric car, it's all electric. It runs off the grid. I drive an electric car now. And uh, it's uh, if you if you bring the dirtiest type of coal plant, uh, it still is cleaner from a carbon perspective and, and certainly from a pollutants perspective uh, for health um, than a gas-powered car is. Uh, there's there's a certain gas mileage. You know, if you're if you're driving a Prius, it gets 60 miles per gallon versus an electric car mm-hmm. that's a big electric car that's SUV size. Uh, might be a little bit more carbon efficient. I'm going to make a recommendation that uh, when we talk about uh, fully electric cars, rather than saying that they operate off the grid, we say they plug into the grid. Because typically, if we said, I'm living off the grid, that means I'm not using electricity. Mm -hmm. So when you first said that the car runs off the grid, first thing that goes through my mind is... Oh wow! What do you mean? It's off the grid? Is it solar somehow? Uh, you know what's what's going on here? Yeah. So we might work on that uh, language of it's plugged into the grid, and and so there is some coal or nuclear or wind or somewhere that uh, that electricity's been generated. 
Right, right. Yeah. So the you know as dirty as coal plants are, uh, you know, compared to automobiles, automobiles are dirty too. And uh, when you go down in town in a big city, you think about you know standing at a bus stop in a corner of a big city and the diesel buses are pulling up and going away and the cars and trucks and I struggle for a breath of fresh air and uh, say an electric car is equal to a a gas car for um, carbon footprint. Uh, still, it doesn't pollute and 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 affect people that are right around the cars. You know, mm-hmm. it's it would be healthier for our people in downtown St. Louis or downtown Jefferson City or Columbia mm-hmm. if all of the vehicles are using energy that they gotten into the car by plugging into the grid. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. but the other thing is, you know, the grid keeps getting cleaner. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, wind turbines are coming on strong. That really the cheapest energy we get is wind. It's not coal or gas, and um, the uh, you know we're moving that direct direction. So an electric car is uh, one car that actually gets cleaner the longer mm-hmm. you own it because the grid's becoming cleaner as as we move forward. Does your dad complain about those wind turbines up there? They make a lot of noise. They're killing a lot of birds. Uh, all these things we hear about wind turbines. It, it takes a little bit of an attitude adjustment, you know. I uh, I got in a discussion with a. a brother-in-law of mine one time he said put all the windmills out in kansas there's nothing out there and i said there's somebody out there <laughs> that cares you know <laughs> and uh my I had a brother that he, he thought they were the ugliest things and hated them on his land and uh my sister thought they were beautiful they, they're white and tall and, mm-hmm. and she finds them therapeutic to watch them. you know so it's, it's kind of depends on, on kind of how you approach it i miss the rolls in northwest missouri with the wind turbines on them i, I can't lie about that <laughs> um, but and and um, you know farmers have to you know farm around them and um you know uh, crop planes you know that apply chemicals to the farms uh regardless of how you feel about that you know chemical farming uh you know they, they can't operate very easily around those wind turbines i'm sure Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when that first farm went in, it was during a period that ethanol was big and corn prices were high and uh, farmers didn't like those wind turbines. But um, since then, we've been through some periods when commodity prices weren't quite so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the you know, farmers get paid for having those wind turbines on their farms. And so, um, so sure. it, it becomes significant. Su- significant income, you know, it helps off- offset that bad crop year. Oh, it is. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's a, a real benefit. Atchison County, the county that we're in, uh, schools are fully funded, you know, with the, the taxes that come in from the wind farms. Oh, wow. Um, the oh. Uh, you know, roads are, you know, the, the, their budgets are in good shape, which if you study uh, local budgets, uh, you know, in counties around the rural areas, a lot of them are really hurting uh, right now. But these, mm-hmm. these wind farms, you know, they're, they're good for the economy. You know, they're not better than nothing, but they're a whole lot better than having a coal plant uh, located right in the same place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, I'd feel much better about living close to a bunch of wind turbines than I would mm-hmm. close to a coal-fired uh, power plant or mm-hmm. a nuclear-powered plant, you know, as far as that goes. Yeah. You know, the, the best form of solving this problem is conservation, you know, energy efficiency. You know, the, you know just, you know, and I, and I even, you know, like I've talked to people with other utility companies. And they say uh, the best thing we could do is just reduce our consumption uh, of electricity and fossil fuels. So, you know, that, we need to do that before we do anything. All right. Let me introduce you again, George, to the listeners. Folks, you're listening to George Lauer, L-A-U-R. He used to work for the extension there at Mizzou. And before that, rural Missourian. So you've had quite a history in both, oh, and journalism. So you had... Journalism all the way through 
quite knowledgeable now working with the uh, Citizens Climate Lobby. And uh, you're also uh, being interviewed by Dick Dalton on Glocal News in Social Artistry right here on KOPN, our community radio station in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, community is uh, what it's all about. What's that word that's within community? Unity. <laughs> so it's uh, trying to unify as much as we can our uh, efforts to build a more humane world for all. So thank you, George, for being with us. Uh, I, I have some questions about uh, Citizens Climate Lobby. When you talked about grassroots, grass tops, and some other things, what do you want people to do at a grassroots level? Well, this is an important time right now. We talked a little bit about, you know, our, our preferred solution to this would be a, a, a regular bill going through regular order, you know, through the House and Senate. We know we've got a pretty dysfunctional uh, Congress uh, right now, and we don't see a lot of bipartisanship work, we're, though we've seen a little. Uh, we've, we've been working for uh, a decade uh, trying to bring uh, Republicans on board and support uh, climate policy. The first year I went out to one of our, our conferences, uh, they asked all the Republicans in the group to stand up, and one stood up and everybody clapped. Uh, in, in recent years, when we go to those uh, conferences, uh, they ask the same question, and about a third of our group stands up. So oh. when, I, when I refer to uh, we, we can't get support from Republicans, uh, we're not talking about Republicans in our community. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking about Republicans in Congress. Mm -hmm. And um, some of my best members, uh, I'd say my most, one of my absolutely most dedicated members is a, is a pretty hardcore Republican. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he's as frustrated as I am not, about not being able to bring you know, Republicans in Congress along on, on policy. So to get something through regular order, you know, we have to have bipartisan support. Bipartisan mm -hmm. support makes a bill, bill durable, you know, because if you have Republicans on, sure. on board when you pass that bill initially, uh, they're going to be there to support the bill, you know, as we, as we move to the next administration. But right now, uh, we're probably not going to see a regular order bill go through. Uh, what we're seeing, you know, we've just heard about the infrastructure bill, which has some stuff in it. Uh, but the really big thing that's happening is the uh, reconciliation bill, budget bill, that's just starting to move its way through the Senate and okay. to the House. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we've got, I, I said, we've got, you know, the, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act. And uh, if people want to read more about that, they can just go to energyinnovation.org and learn all about that. And, and then there, there's three other bills that have different types of climate, uh, carbon pricing in them and different distributions. They all include a dividend back to households. So as you go through budget reconciliation and you start trying to do climate policy at that point, uh, there's a lot of things being discussed other than the carbon fee. In fact, that's not being discussed as much as it should be, but the uh, a carbon fee would fit well within uh, reconciliation because you, you're you're instituting a fee and bringing in revenue, distributing that revenue as as part of a, a, a dividend program. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that are very budget oriented, which would b belong in a reconciliation bill. So it's having it, you know, the the clean, nice way to do it is a, is a clean bill, but uh, doing it through budget reconciliation, uh, it's less eloquent process then and but the nice thing is it requires only a simple majority right uh, you know the, the talk is we're going to see a reconciliation bill going through with only democratic support mm -hmm. um, 
still, uh, you know, Republicans can affect that bill. They can influence it as, as it goes through that process. So it's important to be talking to our uh, congressmen. I refer to the Republicans because we're all in central Missouri represented by uh, Republicans, uh, both in the House and, and of course, both, both of our senators are Republicans. Mm -hmm. What we need is citizens calling the, uh, the House uh, in Senate. Right now, we're just finishing up a Senate campaign, uh, but people can continue to call a Senate. Uh, we've got we've got a web page set up that you can go to. Uh, the web address is um, CCL, like in Citizens Climate Lobby. So it's cclusa.org slash Senate. And uh, it would tell you, it would give you a message as to what type of uh, large senators need to be here in, in Missouri to maybe support this bill, okay. or this process, or, or at least not to oppose it uh, with a lot of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and we're going to be starting a bill in the uh, campaign uh, the day this broadcast goes on, on, on the 11th. Uh, mm -hmm. for a, a house campaign be calling our house members and uh, to make that phone call uh, people need to go to cclusa.org slash house ah. and uh, and that will take you to uh, it'll, it'll tell you who your house representative is and, and a suggested uh, message that you can work on and what the phone number is uh, makes those calls real easy and uh, while you're visiting these pages, the if you know your, your URLs, uh, cclusa.org with nothing behind it, just takes you to our main website. Uh, but uh, as you make these calls, uh, you can join Citizens Climate Lobby. And it is, this is a dynamic situation. So we, you know, right, right now we're, we've been working on the Senate. We're still working on the Senate. We're, we're ready to begin working on the House. Uh, we really need people making those, uh, those phone calls. Uh, so, and, and while, while you're on this site making that call, it's an easy time to join Citizens Climate Lobby, so you can kind of keep you up to date as what we need next. Mm -hmm. One of the things we hear most from our Congress, rep, you know, our House reps and senators, is that they really don't hear a lot from constituents uh, about concerns for climate change. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we might tend to hang out with a crowd that we think everybody's talking about it. But uh, I think I think they're honest with us when they say compared to what else they're hearing from it, uh, they're mm -hmm. not hearing that much about a need to act on climate change. So uh, so contacting uh, Congress uh, to, you know, and asking them to uh, do something about climate change and know, know that you're concerned about it and you want them to do something about it. And uh, it's really be nice if you added to that uh, what we need is a price on carbon. Um, when they when they put a reconciliation package together, uh, they will be looking at the bills that are already sitting there in Congress. And uh, we've got four bills that talk about uh, carbon pricing and and um, and they all include a dividend. So um, we, well, we've stood pretty firmly that we'd only support a, a, a regular bill that had uh, had a good carbon price, you know, with the dividend. Uh, we feel pretty comfortable just trying to get the message to Congress right now uh, that we need to put price on carbon. And then they can go to those bills for the language, uh, say, how we can go about doing that. One of the messages is kind of resonating with some of our uh, Republican senators and House members is that the European Union uh, is putting a price on carbon. And oh. uh, what they're going to start doing is putting a, uh, a fee uh, a tariff on uh, carbon intensive goods coming into their in, into the European Union. Oh. Uh, that don't have don't have a similar price back in in their country, you know. So that so Republicans and, and Democrats too, uh, they they don't want to see our dollars going into the European Union's budget. <laughs> we, we don't have 
safety here in the United States. Uh-huh. And uh, the same thing is happening in Canada. Canada's got a nationwide uh, carbon tax, and they're talking about putting a fee on our grids coming into their country that we don't have a carbon fee on. Wow. So um, we, 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 if you know, if, if, if we can get a carbon price here, uh, that money can come back into our budget to do what we want to with it. And one of the things we'd like to see them do is return that back as a dividend to, to households to help uh, to keep you know to keep them harm free you know from mm-hmm. the, those price increases they'll see in their uh, gas and uh, heating bills and and uh, and so and in the goods and services they buy. Can you give an example of what uh, Canada or the European Union would uh, put a extra fee on some what what product would be an example a car or. A- uh, it, the automobiles are it, it would be a car, carbon intensive good and you'll still us still would be disadvantaged uh, I, I don't know what our still exports are but it's not mm-hmm. zero mm-hmm. and um, the um, you know aluminum the um, it's just a, a lot of the manufactured products uh, agriculture products uh, probably wouldn't have a carbon intensity high enough to be charged a fee hmm. so uh, I, I, I can't say that uh, it would hurt our agriculture producers uh, that mm-hmm. much Okay, interesting. So at a grassroots level, we can uh, look at the cclusa.org slash Senate uh, website and uh, contact senators and find out more about uh, what's going on there. And then come uh, uh, today, August the 11th, uh, we can go to cclusa.org slash house because there's a bill uh, coming up there. So you also talked about uh, grass tops, uh, community leaders. What what do you need to talk to them about? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, when you talk about grass tops, that's always a good question. It's like, who, who's grass tops, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, people in the, it's people in your community that other people listen to, uh, mm-hmm. but I also think about grass tops in in our setting. Is uh, I, I I take the newsletter for every one of our representatives in, in the House and, and both our senators, mm-hmm. and uh, the uh, and so I'm constantly getting things from them. But uh, Vicki Hartzer, I, I know I know when she comes back to Missouri, she likes to put in her newsletter all the different places she visited. So uh, she visits she visits. It seems like she visits with 4-H groups a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, she visits with uh, FFA students a lot. She visits with you know small businesses, uh, you know, in her district. And so I, I, I think in terms of those, just look at those people where she likes to visit when she comes back to the state. And if if they get a meeting with a, the house member when uh, they come through, uh, when she comes through, uh, I would consider them certainly grass tops. So um, so mm-hmm. we're looking at business, you know, business leaders. Uh, you know, we certainly. Uh, you know, mayors and, and, and chamber members. Uh, I, know, I know we've had at, at, at least one chamber member from Columbia and, and a couple from Jefferson City that have uh, endorsed the bill. Uh, one of the things you can do is direct, we ask, we ask uh, these uh, community leaders, these grass tops people uh, to go to the website uh, about the bill, energyinnovation.org. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, right there they can, endorse the bill and you can see a wide range of uh, uh, people who have endorsed the bills just to get a picture of kind of who, who would be grass tops it, 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 it includes 
uh, you know, businesses, it includes faith leaders, wineries, uh, 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 breweries, you know, are, mm -hmm. are big and a lot of endorsements are from breweries. Uh, ski resorts, you know, ski resorts are, are, are concerned about losing their snow. And, yeah. uh, that, you know, the whole winter sports, sports community, uh, we've got some famous athletes that have endorsed uh, our bills. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we're, we're looking for any, anyone in the community that, you know, people kind of know. And, uh, and we're looking for uh, conservatives. You know, we've, we've got to look at where we live. And um, Missouri voted for Trump and uh, has been, you know, turned solid red. We only have one statewide Democrat left and she's getting, uh, moving out. So um, we, we, we've got to really, uh, we've got to talk to people that aren't in our little cliques. We need to break out and get talking to uh, conservatives and uh, mm -hmm. people that are in the business community and getting their support. So, mm -hmm. so on uh, cclusa.org, uh, is it uh, sort of easy to go through and uh, get a little more educated on talking points? Sure. Sure is. Yeah, we, we, we provide, you know, the talking points are really simple. Uh, you, you, you know, when we have a, a meeting with a congressional member uh, and, you, and usually, it, usually it's not the member and, and that's not a bad thing. But you, you usually meet with you, what you realize when you go to D.C. is that this world's ran by a bunch of very young people. But um, the. Uh, uh, that's but, because when you go to their office, uh, it's one of the people that are there temporarily that are. Get to, you get to talk to, and they pass on something to the, the senator right. or, or well, representative. If you, yeah, if you can convince the energy aid or the environmental aid that you have a good policy, he's, he or she would be in the, the representative's ear as things are happening where you can't be. And um, so uh, they, you know, the the members themselves can't, you know, they can't possibly follow all the different requests coming in. So they've got a, a, a relatively small staff of aides that really specialize in these areas. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I had a choice of having the aide fully informed and knowledgeable about a policy versus uh, just a meeting with a representative that might be more, uh, you know, glad handing and stuff, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a real value in meeting with the aides. Good. Uh huh. Good. So you feel as though that's a productive use of time when the lobbyists go there. Yeah. The uh, the you know the I've been doing this for ten years, and mm -hmm. uh, you know we I, I remember one uh, meeting we had on DC early where and uh, it was fairly high up. aide came out of one of our representatives' door and kind of knew who we were, kind of what we were talking about, and yelled yelled at us for about five minutes and then went back in and uh, didn't hardly, didn't hardly listen to anything we said. And, um, you know, so we, the, the, the conversations were, were, uh, you know, we, we weren't as good. We didn't, we weren't as experienced uh, at a different time in history, you know, you know, mm -hmm. 10 years later here. And uh, we, we go into these offices and we feel like we're meeting with friends mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're people in, in conservative offices and, uh, and a lot of them, um, especially these young people they're they're concerned about climate change they're young they know it's going to be a problem mm -hmm. and uh and they, they look they look forward to talking to us and we look forward to talking to them and uh you know that's the only way you're going to get anything done you're not going to get anything done uh, going in there and yelling at them sure so um, sure we 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 are we are as a we are as a, a it's a one of the we have few requirements in citizens climate lobby uh but it's always to approach our representatives with appreciation for what they're doing and gratitude 
uh, we always uh, we always go in with an appreciation. And uh, I've thought about all the different policy issues I want to make when I go into a meeting. And sometimes I spend longer trying to find an appreciation sometimes. But mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you start the meeting off on a positive note, uh, that kind of opens up ears and you have good conversations. I've had I've had, um, you know, aides uh, call me and ask my opinion on. on oh, wow. That were coming through. Great. Um, I've, I've, had, I've had him call me and say, you know, we did. We I wanted to call you before you heard it in the news, but uh, we didn't vote the way you wanted us to on that bill. But I want to tell you why. And uh, so, um, you know, they're 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 in tough situations. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you think about, you know, what's happened, uh, you know, with the insurrection and and, uh, you know, the, the, these these members are in, are in tough places a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So you have to appreciate that they're they're there. And uh, yeah, I, I watch West Wing. I know all about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I, I've, never, I've never watched that show. I'm not much of a TV person, but it's, a, it's an interesting place. And, you know, I'm, and after walking those, walk, walking those halls and then seeing what happened with the insurrection, uh, it was an emotional experience, um, wow. you know, knowing that those people that we know and care about, even though we might disagree on policy issues or they're, they're not doing everything we want or anything we want. Uh, there's there's still people and they're mm-hmm. still uh, got good intentions. And I, I, I talked about Republicans in Congress. We haven't uh, made as much progress as we'd like with them. Uh, but, you know, there's a, there's a large percentage of, of Republicans back here in the district that are concerned about climate change. Young Republicans mm-hmm. care about climate change at about the same rate that uh, progressive Democrats do. Uh-huh. So um, it, 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 it's, it's changing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, I, and Republicans have introduced bills. Uh, they just haven't introduced a carbon fee. But, but you know, we, we were challenged to even, you know, for them, this to even be an issue early. And uh, in our visits in the last couple of years with our, our Republicans, I've only met with Republicans. Uh, we, we, you know, we're talking about policy and what will work and why they're concerned about it. We're not talking about it. Climate change is a problem or if we mm-hmm. need, need to address it. Right. Um, I, I was at a meeting with one of our reps um, this last year that we actually met uh, during the COVID crisis face to face in the district. Mm. And um, the question came up, like, really, now how, how serious do you think this problem is? And, and he, he said, uh, it, it's a serious problem. We, we, need, we, need, we need to solve this. And uh, we, we don't spend a lot of time. A large percentage of our population, even here in Missouri, thinks that climate change is an issue that needs to be addressed. They, they believe they believe climate change is happening. They believe humans right. are causing it, right. um, and and they don't think they're going to be affected. Maybe, but uh, but their support for policy is much higher than their belief in whether for sure or not is happening. It's kind of the take out an insurance policy. We don't, we don't know if we're going to have a car accident. But we'd like to have an insurance policy. Oh, good. And, uh, mm-hmm. You know, so if we uh, think climate change is likely to be the big problem that scientists say it's going to be, we we should have policy to address that. And uh, a, yeah. a carbon tax uh, with a dividend uh, would create virtually no harm to um, lower class and middle class families. You know, there's always uh, winners and losers on a policy like that, and we know who the losers would be. Um, you know, some some of the energy companies, are, you know, the coal companies are in trouble with, mm-hmm. with or without a policy. Fossil fuel industries, you know, they need to transition to being energy industries that are not focused on fossil fuel. And mm-hmm. uh, they got the money to do that, some expertise that could be helpful in getting us there. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that we can, uh, you know, we, we, we can do this, but we're going to we're going to have to engage everyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now we got just uh, we just need more people helping. Okay. We have we have a local group. This is you, know, you, you, you I'm t- talking about going to a website and joining, but uh, 
our local uh, group meets uh, the first uh, or the second Saturday of the month, usually, uh, unless we have a conflict like a lobby week or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now we're doing that on Zoom. Uh, as soon as we get, I don't know, I don't know when we, we've, we've learned how to do things on Zoom. I, I, we, we got together and had a party kind of when COVID dropped uh, here for mm -hmm. a few weeks at least. And uh, had, had a lot of had a lot of uh, good time just getting together and seeing people we hadn't seen for a long time. Um, we felt like we'd seen them because we've been having Zoom meetings. All <laughs> right. So, uh, but it's uh, you know if you if you want to join, you can you can join the national group and and not get terribly involved locally. But certainly we we need a lot of help uh, locally reaching out to people. So that's the Citizens Climate Lobby. And can, the website is cclusa.org. And we're speaking with George Lauer. What's your role with the, the local chapter? Are you the chair or the, what are you, what are you called? I, I'm the local leader for the, the Columbia group right now. And mm -hmm. uh, we have, a, we have, a, uh, we have a, a lot of people signed up with our group, but like in most groups, it's a much smaller number that are active and show up mm -hmm. uh, monthly meetings mm -hmm. and um, we have a, a few key people that show up on a regular basis and uh, we have we have a chapter in Jefferson City Jeff Holsom uh, oversees mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, if you sign if you sign up at um, citizens climate lobby dot org or cclusa.org you will or when you, when you go to do one of the campaigns and sign up uh, I'll get a little note in the mail that's saying we've got a new member and you'll be contacted and put on the appropriate uh, yeah. local list for local meetings oh okay great well george our time is up it, it's been wonderful uh hearing the work that you're doing and all of these citizens climate lobby folks and you need some more volunteers obviously uh so uh folks uh you know what to do <laughs> Thank you, George. Uh, pleasure having you on, and thank you for your work. Uh, okay, Dick. I appreciate what you do. Thanks a lot. Okay. Take care. And friends, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, please leave your world cleaner, uh, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us Take care and talk to you soon.